You have also got to have some natural eye and natural talent. There's no doubt about that. But every single person has something. And it might take you 55 years, like it has for me, to find it. But oh gosh, it was, it was worth the wait. Hello, you are listening to the Late Bloomer Living podcast, where we are reimagining and redefining what it means to be in midlife, where we are gathering energy, momentum, and excitement for our next chapter via candid conversations with other midlifers about their own pivots, pitfalls, and triumphs. I'm Yvonne Marchese, your host, and I'm so happy you're here. This week's episode is about discovering joy in the midst of difficult times. Rebecca Thompson's newborn granddaughter was near death, just as the world was beginning to grapple with the COVID pandemic. Her home organizing business was shut down, as was her husband's business. And like much of the world, they found themselves scrambling to do business online. During a lockdown walk in April of 2020, Rebecca's husband introduced her to Sea Glass. And after collecting for a week, she found out, well, first of all, she was stinking excited, and she found out that she had a talent for wiring jewelry, and then set off on a new and unplanned adventure, sharing her creations from an old converted bike shed to people all around the world. Rebecca is now a proud owner of her second business called The Sea Glass Company, which not only sells unique and bespoke jewelry, but has expanded into other creative mediums. I can't wait for you to meet her. She's very charming. So without further ado, here's Rebecca Thompson. Hey, Rebecca, thank you so much for being here with me. Lovely to be here. Thank you for inviting me. I'm really excited. I've been looking forward to this for the last few weeks. Oh my goodness. Well, I always like to say how I met people and you and I met in a room in Clubhouse. And when you shared your story while we were in that room, uh, I I have to say it kind of hit me like a sledgehammer. Um, There was a lot to it. And I'll just go ahead and, you know, say you're, you're, you're making this beautiful jewelry now. And I'm just fascinated with how it happened. And not only that, but what was going on in your life before? Like how, how old yeah. are you now? I'm 50, uh, 56. 56. 55. I just turned 53. Yeah. So there you go. We're <laughs> in the same zone, but you yeah. already, you have grandkids. I've got nine. Uh, my, I started late. My kids are, um, are, you know, 14 and 17. So yeah. it's so funny. Like we're close to the same age, but I, I was a late bloomer as far as being a mom too. So, um, so I'm going to like, you were an early <laughs> bloomer in that area. Right. Um, well, tell me, take me back a little bit and let just fill us in on, on, I know that there were some challenges. So I think, Around Christmas time in 2019, there was just this little bit of stirring that something was happening out in the world, but I was pretty much ignoring it because my granddaughter was due, which was my eighth grandchild, and she was under extreme sort of stress in the sense that she had full congenital heart block. And 
the doctor said because of 22 weeks told her this news and that she could die at any moment um, over the coming weeks, whether that be in the womb or out the womb. So the electric impulses that pump the blood around the heart weren't working properly. And without that, um, basically, you your body can't live. So even if the even the heart transplant won't alter that because it isn't the heart, it's the electrical impulses that you know the electrical the current of the heart, the pumping method around the heart chambers. That's the problem, not the heart. So she can't have a heart transplant. So basically, um, they said to her, if you take this drug, it may stabilise. There's a lot of steroids and things like that. So I know that a lot of things can be quite controversial. In, but for her, if she, if she didn't take them, there was, there was no sort of decision really because neither way she was in danger. So she just trusted this doctor and took them. So basically she was doing in January 2020. So I went down there in January 2020 and stayed with her and was with her when she was born and when she went intensive care and got to hold her within the first few hours and stuff. And that was really nice to be with her. I stayed with her overnight the first night because dad was shattered and but they were really good. And so I had to come home at some point because they lived 300 miles away. Um, oh, wow. So I came home and this rumbling was going on with COVID coming into sort of the news. She was back in hospital. She had um, some a chest infection and then she developed into pneumonia. Mm. And so she was in that hospital over February um, and then in March again. So then COVID occurred and everybody's like lockdown and she was still in hospital and then out of hospital, and then in a hospital, and this COVID was happening, so they were frightened to have her in hospital, so they'd send her home as soon as she could. I think she was tested for COVID five times over the coming weeks, but I, we all, we'd still wonder whether she had it. You know, right. We, we don't know. We right. still wonder yeah, whether she had it's it. It's a fair was, question, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. we don't know. Um, but then... Of course, my daughter, not of course, my daughter's was vulnerable. So she couldn't go into the hospital because she has her own um, chronic illnesses that make her vulnerable. Mm. So, so dad went in one time and they said because her heart was failing. We were so lucky because um, there's a very famous children's hospital in London called Great Ormond Street Hospital. And it deals with children. It's very, very famous in the UK. Um, and a lot of, of children uh, from all over are operated on there. But it's a very special hospital. And the doctor that was going to do this operation when Jessica was two, and she's 12 weeks, um, was on site. And the other hospital doctor that isn't usually there was on site on the day that she needed them to be on site. And she had a pacemaker fitted. But the awful thing was, was we didn't, when she went back in, nobody anticipated that she would need a pacemaker at that particular time because she'd been in and out all the time. So mum had just said, you know, bye and see you again in a couple of days and type of thing. 
and then so they did FaceTime. Yeah, so they did FaceTime and to say goodbye to her daughter because they didn't know whether she'd come out alive. And she did, I'm happy to say. And that was really, really hard listening to your daughter crying because she's just had to say goodbye to her daughter over the phone, um, basically. Um, so, so that was going on. Then my husband is a filmmaker and photographer and his business just gone overnight. Right. Because he works with the arts more than the corporate. Um, so he does a lot of artist work, theatre work, um, museums, yeah. all kinds of things like that. So it's just gone. And I work with people in their homes as well as online, but it was at that particular time, it was 80% homes gone. Right. You were doing home organizing, right? Yeah. So I'm a personal organizer and deeper coach for home and business, but it had gone from 80% business, 20% home to 80% home to 20% business. And I was in for my best year yet. My husband was fully booked out for the whole 12 months ahead, gone. Wow. So I always think, um, they always say that when you're in a challenging situation, it's about looking outside of yourself and how you can help other people. And that is the best way of looking at it. If you can't do anything or initially, we're just in a bit of sort of fast forward. We were kind of like that horrible word that everybody hates at the minute, pivot. But how do you pivot a business that relies on being present? So that was the challenge for both of us. So he got together with another company who did live streaming and they did an online carnival for a local and then he did a local thrift festival that's usually uh-huh. held with on um with live streaming again and then bits of work started to build up over the next 12 months but in the uk so basically we went out once a day that's what we were allowed to do and you were only allowed to go for exercise that was it you couldn't go beyond your village you couldn't you know unless you were going shopping and you had to go shopping um, you weren't allowed to drive anywhere, even five, ten minutes away for leisure. You weren't allowed to have lunch or a picnic, even if it was on the beach and nobody was there. That was the rule. So suddenly somebody said, you can't um, you can't go out and you can only go out for an hour. I was like, I'm going out for an hour. <laughs> you know, it's like a child. Well, I'm going out for that hour. No, whereas before, I hadn't walked so much in my life. So we went out... <laughs> went out for that hour because we were only allowed that hour so we were going to get it so oh, we haven't done our walk today and this sometimes it was nine o'clock at night and we'd go out what was 10 o'clock at night and we'd say well we've got to go out because it's the only time we're allowed out <laughs> but sometimes you could be in the house for three days you know and you don't go out because you're so wrapped up in work or wherever um but this was sort of oh can only go out at this time so wow. we went for the way that the geographical area gives us access to four beaches, individual beaches, so they don't, you know, they're individual bays. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've got four bays within 10, 15, 20, and 25 minute walk. So we turned right this time on one of the days. So we went for this walk, and it's lovely to just look out to see. I was born in the middle of the country. Um, in quite a suburban area so I only used to see the seaside once a year and that was it 
So it was all my always my dream as a child from five years old to live by the sea and now on a three-minute walk from the nearest beach. Took me 40 years to get here, but um, I'm here. And we went for this walk as usual. And we, went, we have two caravan sites at either end of our village because it's a popular destination to come to. So we walk past the caravan site down onto this beach. Neither of us, I mean, he's lived here all his life, so it's pretty um, surprising really that he hadn't really been onto this beach. Um, and we sat on the rock and we felt really naughty and really rebellious sitting on the rock because actually we stayed still for five minutes, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I had a little snack bar in my pocket and I took that out and I said, oh, this is, this is really naughty. We shouldn't be sitting here doing this, but there's nobody here. So it felt, I said, everybody needs a rest, you know. Some of these people were all pensioners nearly, so I just need a rest. So we sat on the rock and he just showed me these tiny, tiny pieces of glass. And I was like, oh. What are they there? And he went, I said, well, I know it's glass. And he went, well, it's sea glass. And I went, what? I said, what's sea glass? I said, well, I know it's come from the sea, but how did it get there? And he said, well, because people are throwing it in or it's come off boats or, you know, that we didn't have landfills then. People would dump things over the cliff and into the sea. Um, mm. And that happened a lot in the early, you know, if you think of, there wasn't a landfill where did they put all their rubbish. You know, when in the sea. So, and of course, plastic wasn't around then. You know, it was more sort of crockery and glass, um, televisions, you name it, wood, all went in the sea. So, I thought, oh. So, it was, I said, it was like the darkness of COVID. It was like a dark cloud, the darkness of what was happening with the family like a big cloud and or a darkened room let's just say so my inner child lit up that room and I just suddenly shone bright and I was just like oh oh and I felt like I'd found the best treasure in the world just like I was five again and then I said oh can we go tomorrow and then I said can we go tomorrow can we go tomorrow and I thought like, gosh you're gonna be sick of searching for sea glass poor man and he said yes yes so we went and we found more. He was excited. We found more. And we'd be at the opposite end of the beach. And all you'd hear was this, oh. <laughs> and then he'd wave frantically if we found, you know, a really good piece. And so that's how it started. In 10 days, we had three vases of sea glass. And wow. that's not known in a lot of the parts of the world. This is this is a hole. You know, it's a big hole. That is a big haul because I I live close to a beach also and almost never find sea glass. You know, I love sea glass and uh, tremendous. Yeah, it was a big haul. And (laughs) I said, I can't hold it, but I can't stop looking for it. It was suddenly this was an outlet. It was an escape. It was meditative. It was spiritual. Um, I thought it was amazing that the sea had taken something that man had thrown away and made it beautiful again and gifted it back and I was there to get it and how lucky was I to live where I live because there are many people who don't find it at all for the odd piece and here I was in abundance. It's like somebody had opened me this treasure chest and given me this gift. And so what do you do with it? Um, I thought, oh, back on YouTube. <laughs> and I looked it up and I was just like, oh, they wire it? What's wiring? Right, let's get some pliers out the mandrel. And um, 
everybody's got a mandrel in their house where the pliers are and the tape measures. In in the UK, they call it the mandrel, the mandrel. like the man shed. The mandrel, yeah. gotcha, yeah. And, the man and did shed. you have wire lying around the house? And no, I, but I made well, I made a mistake because I just thought, oh, I'll just order some sterling silver wire. Yeah. To practice on, no, you shouldn't do that because it's oh. like eighteen pound for which is like twenty five. $30 for this meter of wire to practice on. Uh-huh. And then I didn't realize you could actually get copper wire and silver plated copper wire and, and things like that. So um, so we did that and it came and I wired my first piece. And I thought, hmm, I don't know how I'm going to get as good as those people that are on the internet. So then I spent two weeks and I would be on until two or three o'clock in the morning and then I'd wake up at six o'clock in the morning and I'd be back on YouTube and I just watched and watched and watched and learned learned about wire bought cheaper wire and sat at the table and then Jason my husband saw what I was doing and said you know that shed that be like half a garage it is like at the end of our yard and it was his cupboard and there was bikes from his children and teaching stuff. There used to be a teacher and all this stuff was in there. And he said, let's empty it. I was like, because I've been working slowly with him because he has a lot of stuff and showing him what it's like to declutter. But it's a long process. It's not something you can just, because it's it's about parting with stuff and letting go and almost grieving over the maybe the loss of bikes because they're not young anymore and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. I had to do all that so we went through that and we hired two skips and we sold a lot of stuff and then there was this space um and there was because I live in a house that was built in 1894 so um Victorian and at the end they had like I would say probably from the 1920s 40s it could be this sort of little shelving that was going on it was really crooked you know if you put anything on it it would have slid right to the end it was really weird mm-hmm. and these sort of very thick planks of wood and he said oh do you want me to rip them out and I went no 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 and so I just shoved some wood underneath made all the shelves level painted the whole of this bricks and old building and cement honestly I had an artist brush in the crevices that's how anal I was being about it <laughs> and I just painted it all with this outdoor paint and then he bought me this folding picnic table um, that was on offer in the local store and he said I saw this and I just thought that would be great for the length of the room and I had an, an old office chair and a few pliers by then some wire and and somebody gave me a, a light it was like a spotlight that came over and mm-hmm. started just sitting there. And I thought this is going to be my escape, I suppose. It was, um, and again, in the UK, we call it the man shed. So this mm-hmm. is my woman's shed or studio. And I thought, oh, I'll call it the sea glass studio. And then started rapping and showing people on Facebook, you know, just my friends. And they were like, oh, is it for sale? I was like, what? I said, sorry, <laughs> is it for sale? I said, why do you think it's for sale? I said, because it's really nice. And I was like, is it? And they were saying yes. And I said, are you just inside for me? You know, just offering your friendly support, mates and all that. 
And I said, no, I would like to actually buy it because I really like it. And I'm like, okay then. So I just sort of went and so I sort of, sort of carried on and carried on. And then more people asked and more people asked. And I suppose this happened over a couple of weeks. And I thought, hmm, has this got legs? It could have. And then somebody said something to me. And it was probably this one thing, apart from the lovely support of my husband, this lady called to me and she said, I'm buying this now, because if you're this good now, I'll not be able to afford you next in the next couple of years. That's all. Oh. Because you have to learn to take compliments, don't you? Because we're we're not very good at it. You do. I have a friend who picked up painting recently and he does beautiful work. And he posts it on Facebook and people are constantly asking him how much, and he just gives it away. And mm-hmm. I keep trying to tell him that he needs to start selling it. So he know? needs to listen to this podcast. He does need to listen to this podcast. <laughs> Imposter syndrome, because especially when you're at the beginning of something. So with my Filofox, I'm coming with 40 years of experience. I've been decluttering and organizing since I was five. Mm-hmm. I was made to do jobs from five years old. I had a list I had to complete by the time my parents came home from work. And that was oh. my, so that was from five years old. So I've been doing that. I've moved so many, t- 15 times. I've lived abroad. You know, I've, I've had all the experience of organization and moving and children and work. So I was bringing all of that to the table. Sea glass jewelry, I was bringing nothing to the table apart from two weeks of YouTube. So it didn't feel <laughs> it didn't feel real right all of a sudden you're like who am I I've only been doing this for two weeks right I'm not a jewelry artist I'm just somebody that's maybe quite good at it you know (laughs) um so it developed and I carried on learning and my hands got really sore because it was like you play the guitar you you Mm -hmm. gotta build up the calluses on the ends of your fingers and because they got sore I decided to look at something else on YouTube, which I'd seen through watching the wiring, and then it would go to resin. And I was like, oh, what's resin? So I found resin, and people got these molds, and they poured this resin in, and you got pretty things overnight. And, um, oh, I like that. So I bought some molds and some resin and made little pendants by putting the tiny pieces of sea glass into the resin. So they served a purpose. Ah. so then I started creating pictures with my resin so I'd put sand in the bottom and then I'd put sea glass and then I'd color the resin blue and I'd make like a little beach and sky and oceans Ah. and things like that so oh this this gives my hands a rest from the wiring and then because I went on to resin I discovered that you could do ceramic jewelry and I was like oh what's this so I bought it my husband bought for my birthday last year bought me a little oven thing and you put this copper plate on and you put this dusty powder on and then you melt it and you've got a ceramic necklace and I thought oh that's really clever I felt so I was like this architect on the beach and a scientist in the studio it was you know it was hitting all of those things yeah <laughs> I was like 
Now is that I've, I've been watching you since, since we met and I've been watching your Instagram feed and, and you showing some of your, your process, which is really cool. If anybody wants to go um, check it out off the top of my head, I can't, what, what is your Instagram handle? I'll have it in the show notes for people. At the Sea Glass Company. At the, at the Sea Glass Company. Um, So you show putting things in the microwave. Right. Yes, I've got a microwave kiln because then from the ceramic, I went onto the mic. I was like, you can put a kiln in the microwave? What's that? So I was like, that was my birthday list. So that I got that for my birthday last year. And then I bought this Millifiori glass, which is like Millifiori, I should say, Millifiori is um, flowers. That's what little tiny flowers and they're in glass and they're in layers and you buy them. And you put them together and you put them in the microwave and you do it for six and a half minutes generally and they come out and you've got a pendant and they've all melted together and then my artist friend who saw so about doing melting glass and again it's like Christmas you know because when the resin is set because if you paint if you add ink to resin or soap powder like there's a powder to colour soap and um, so you can make different colors. So it comes from this micro powder. Mm-hmm. You can add it to resin. You can mm. add ink to resin. So I paint with ink, essentially. But resin has a mind of its own. So when you leave a pattern, you don't come back to the same pattern the next day because the resin moves. Even when it's in a you know, a solid state, it moves yeah. as it's drying. Yeah. So you come, so it's like Christmas. So I, when I do resin work, I jump out of bed in the morning, I run down the stairs and I go out into the studio <laughs> and I peel off my molds <laughs> to see what the resin is done. That's awesome. So when, it, so when you've got your microwave and you have to wear really thick gloves to handle it and you can look halfway through and it's just this glowing orange ball of melted glass and you put the lid back on because it could crack if you leave it. The, if you have the heat exchanges too quick from cold to warm so you have to be really quick and have a look and then you have to leave it to cool so I've got one cooling at the minute and I've just put lots of yellow flowers together but then my friend bought me some ceramic glass and said try this and then I saw this artist honestly this story is amazing right so this artist in Scotland okay so think about the artist in Scotland okay so I'm on a sea glass group that is American because it's a big thing over in America to collect sea glass. So there's all these groups I've joined, you know, the sea glass seekers, the sea glass this. And I meet this lady who's on it, and she's in Australia. And she tells me about this artist in Scotland. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, well, I'm in England. She's like, should I thought you were in the US? And I was like, no, I'm in England. Oh, so I look where she is, and she's not far away, because I live in Northumberland, which is the, net, the last county on the east coast before Scotland ah. so essentially I'm an hour and a half from Edinburgh and then so I go into see this lady and I look at her work and she does amazing glass work it's nothing to do with sea glass but she does all these beautiful pictures and I said you're just absolutely amazing and I love your work and I'm just starting to melt glass and she says give me your address and I gave her it and she sent me glass and a glass cutter and all these little bits and pieces in a little package. Oh, my gosh. And I was just like, oh. So I made her a sea glass necklace and then sent it her, you know, as an exchange to say wow. thank you for what she'd done. 
Yeah. And just any questions you've got. And of course, I've still got all of that world to explore. It's kind of in the in the peripheral, really. It's just there, sitting at the side of me. And there's a whole world I can go. So I'll never run out of things to do. Because right. I've got all that melted glass world. I've got the resin world. And then I've got... Um, then I've got this other world that my again it was just to give my hands a rest from wiring because it is intense because sometimes it can take me two hours to make one piece and I'm not one of these people that walks away from necklaces I have to do it so if I'm there till midnight or one o'clock in the morning or two o'clock in the morning I have to complete it I can't because I don't design my jewelry I don't sketch it I go with it whatever it is Mm. it'll come Mm. and I just go with it Mm. so I'm I'm very organic when it comes to I'm not maybe and I think that must be why your pieces all have a unique they they each have a a, their own feel it doesn't look like you're recreating the same thing over and over it's no yeah because then I'll become a production line and then I become high street and I'm definitely not high street and I never want to be so I go with the flow ebb and flow sorry for the pun but um (laughs) I go with the flow and I make individual pieces so then again my husband is is a creative and he said think about Picasso and he does those one line drawings could you do that with wire Mm, I can see that in your work that's really cool yeah I started doing that and I made a flim I think I did a flamingo I did a dolphin I've I've done two foxes that I was commissioned to do. I've just been commissioned to do a golfer. Um, And then you put them into a frame, but I use the sea glass somewhere. So in the flamingo, I had a tiny, tiny piece of blue, which is really rare. And that was the eye. Yeah. In the golfer, it'll be the flag. Uh Uh-huh. And then there's just, I would use the eyes for the animals. Um with tiny, tiny fragments of sea glass, very rare sea glass, so blue is really rare. So I always use, tend to use a blue. So all my animals have blue eyes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they go in frames. And then, so the sea glass, I've collected, I have thousands and thousands of pieces. I mean, thousands and thousands of pieces. And a lady came up to me recently and said, in the 37 years that she's been collecting sea glass, she has two marbles. I have 20. Wow. In 15 months, I've been extremely lucky, extremely blessed. So this is all bringing a lot of questions up for me. Um, I, I One of the things that you talked about when we were in Clubhouse was that you had always been a rebel. And you had a business, you had children young, and here comes this, this bounty of sea glass, this unexpected gift. And you've followed the instinct that hit you to start making something beautiful from something beautiful that you found. Yes. And then you realized it could be a business. Right. Yeah. This has been a whole, a whole unraveling, a whole journey that it's, it's like you've been unwrapping a multi-layered 
gift, you know, or yeah. a gift that's a been, yes, a parcel, then you've, you keep unwrapping the layers of it. I guess what I'm, what I'm curious about is how do you feel about this happening at this point in your life? Like who were you before? Um, a frustrated creative. <laughs> a frustrated creative. Uh-huh. Because I've always been searching for my medium. I knew that I was an artist. I knew I was a creative from a very young age. It's not academic. So therefore, it wasn't really encouraged. Let's just say that. Let's possibly discouraged. And my sister's the same. She was a really good artist. She is a really good artist. All of my family are, I think. And my grandfather was an architect. Um, my mother did watercolour classes and things like that. So it's definitely in the family. And there was this talent. So a few years ago, I filmed with my husband at a festival, a music festival, but they did workshops. And they did needle felting. I didn't know what it was. And again, I went home, looked on YouTube and started doing a little bit of needle felting. And for me, that was a real eye-opener because I would have told you, I would have swore my life that I would never work in 3D. I would never, you know, I would do a bit of sketching or a little bit of drawing. But I used to um, be a, a, a coordinator of a local arts group. And we used to get artists in to do various things. And every time I did something for the first time, my husband said, like an echo to the canopy. And my friends used to say, Oh, you've done it again. And I was like, What have I done? I said, It's really good. Everything you put your hand to is really good. It doesn't matter what we do in this workshop or what workshop comes along, yours is the best. And I was like, No, no, it's not, you know, because you get embarrassed, don't you? So there's it, it's always been around me. And I think what happened was they do say that things come at the right time, don't they? when the time that you need it most. And especially, it's like going looking for a dress. You never find it when you're looking for it. You only find the dress that you want when you're not looking for it. But when you're actually going out to look for those shoes, you're not going to find them. You're only going to find them when you don't look for the shoes. So it was a bit like that. And I wasn't looking for a business. I was looking to get my other business online. That was my ultimate aim. And somehow get through this, whatever was happening, because nobody knew. So that came along and when I, like I say, something, it was like somebody had lit, not just a flame, but a fire. So somebody had lit a fire, but all of the contents of that fire were ready. It was just waiting for something to come along and light it. And I didn't know, I honestly didn't plan it. I didn't know, I didn't know how good I'd be but I knew there was something inside of me that could, could do something. What was that medium? And I was really certain. I thought needle felting was it. And then I thought, God, just like a magpie, you know, ooh, get yourself a shiny. Oh, is there something shiny? Oh, there's something shiny. Let's go over there. Let's go over there. And I'm like that, you know, I'm easily distracted, procrastinate and all of this. Oh, all these nice things. Oh, look at that. So I just kept going all over those places. But then this came and it was just like, honestly, I can't explain it. It was like someone put it in my hand and it was almost like getting the holy grail of, it was that's how it felt, like the holy grail. And I was just like, oh, 
oh, and I've never experienced this. And people say when you're in business and you're in your authentic business, it's not working. I'm like, yeah, no, yeah, right. It isn't. It's not work. None of it's work. And I've never been in that position. Even my day it's work, you know, but I love it. You know, there's lots of things that I've been beautifully grateful for. But this is just like, here's a chance for you to express you. And, and, and if you don't mind me asking, I mean, when you and I spoke before, you, I mean, you've had, you've had some trouble in life, mm-hmm. right? You've, you, I know time. you've mentioned that you had a severe depression. Yeah, for, big for time. Years. And I think because it started off, um, you know, that when your parents are brought up in very difficult circumstances themselves, yeah, they'll either go one way or the other. They'll go really over the top to be the something that they've rejected themselves. Mm-hmm. Or they'll, why I always say, is, I don't know whether this is the right way to say it, but like a dilution of their own parents. You know, there's like this, you are going to inherit some behaviours. Yeah. And unfortunately, for one of my parents, that behaviour was tough love. He loved me, but he didn't express it in the way that I needed to receive it. Mm. So mm. I grew up thinking totally worthless and worthless and nothing's ever going to be good enough. And I would do things like go to first aid classes. So I got all my first aid certificates, wanted to be a nurse. And then I was told I couldn't be because I didn't have the personality to be a nurse, basically. And that's putting it very politely. Um and then and, I was. And this is one of your parents that, that told you you didn't have the yeah. personality to do it. Yeah. Yeah. But yet I've gone through all of the, you know, things. And I, I, my mother was really fantastic. She'd work extra hours. I, I became the Northern Counties Ballroom Champion, like the North of England Ballroom Champion through dancing. And I you, didn't you, start till I was. You became a ballroom. I was a late bloomer. What? I didn't start till, I didn't start till 13, which is really late do ballroom dancing so wow. I had to work it took me a year to get to the top but I did and I got there and I stayed there and um, I finished that when I was 16. So I've always been sort of athletic as well I used to do a lot of running and things and I did enjoy it but I also was like I was trying to prove a point all the time. Mm. I was a young mum and um, it was it was just very difficult relationships and I ended up having, and I don't mind saying because all my kids know, I did um, electroconvulsive therapy, which is where they basically electrocute your brain. And you lose your memory completely. I couldn't remember my name. My kids name what, led, what led you to that? That was depression that led you to that, right? Yeah. And how old yeah, were you so gonna, when that was going on? 26. Wow. Young. So I was divorced yeah. by then. And... I was just in a really bad place for about six years. And then you have to train your brain to, to remember. So I was like, but then you look at that challenge and what, what did I learn from that? Well, I learned what it's like to have Alzheimer's because people look at people, but they just can't quite get who they are. You know, is that my daughter? Is that my sister? Is that my, what's your name? What's my name? So that's how I was. I know that you are, I know that you know you. I know that you're in my life, but I just can't quite place you. And it was my best friend from school. Mm. Was it frustrating to be... To... It was frightening. It was frightening for her when I asked her, could you just tell me my name, please? 
and she cried because she was sad that I couldn't remember my name. But... Yeah, yeah. And did you did you feel frustrated though? I I wonder. Um... I'm frustrated at the yeah. I did feel frustrated because I knew that I was repeat like 50 times a day. I would say the same thing. You know, it would be the same thing. But there was one day I was. It was a pivotal moment, and it was a pivotal moment, huge, huge moment in my life when I was 32, 33 years old, yeah, seven, seven years later. And I was in this sort of day center, and they put me in the art studio because they knew I liked art. And then she says, Becca, would you like to do some decoupage? And I went, somewhat. She went, decoupage. And I went, what's that then? And then she said, this is what you do. And she gave me these materials. So I did it in an hour. She says, oh dear. She said, that was supposed to take you all morning. And I went, well, it didn't. So what shall I do? <laughs> <laughs> and um, she just, there was this condescending manner that I was spoken to. And I don't think she meant it, but it was condescending. Mm. You know, she liked mm. to learn how to make this pie. I said, I've got three children at home. I know how to make pie. You know, it was just, but the good thing was I got angry. And I hadn't felt hungry for many, many years. I felt nothing. And I suddenly became angry. And I was like, right, well, I'm off now. And she says, where are you going? I says, because I've finished being like this. And I'm not going to be like this tomorrow. So goodbye. <laughs> and I left. And that was it. I just went, click that switch. I said, I'm not going to be like this anymore. As in, I'm not going to be depressed. And I just said, I am done now. I'm done with that. We're done. And I've never been back. So I've been, you know, stressed and challenges, so many challenges and lots of mistakes and lots of bad choices, but some good ones as well. And so it's been a very interesting, colourful journey and some things I'm not very proud of and some things that I'm really proud of. But at the end of the day, they make you while you who you are. Right. And, you know, really, it, it all comes down to life is maybe not 50-50, but we've got the good and we've got the bad and, and you know, what we call good and bad, right? And the ugly. And the ugly, <laughs> the good, the bad, and the ugly. Exactly. But it makes us who we are, right? It, yeah. All of it. Yeah. All of it. Yeah, all of it. If, if you hadn't found this new <laughs> passion, how do you think you'd I mean, I mean, you never know, right? But how do you think you would be feeling, reacting to the challenges that have come up for, you know, your family in this past year and a half or so? I always get through them because everything's transitional and mm -hmm. everything changes. And my Firefox work, was telling about people this is transitional because I've been through worse and the, I always imagine the worst the worst could happen was we could lose the house if we couldn't afford to pay for it that's mm -hmm. the worst that could happen I've done that twice already so I know what that's like it doesn't matter you know as long as we've got our health and there's food on the table those are my basic needs and anything beyond that is a bonus um but in terms of not having had C plus it's a really hard question because, but I know that sea glass has lit up my life for the rest of my life. It, 
the fire just grows stronger. It doesn't weaken because sometimes when you're in a fad, you know, you, then you just don't, you stop, don't you? you? You go on to the next thing. This just, I'm not even anywhere near as good as I want to. I'm not good yet. Well, I'm good, but I'm not fantastic. You know, you've really got to have something pretty special to stand out from the crowd and you've got to have the story. And the story is phenomenal. And it's just one day that changes your life. And it did. It literally was one moment that changed my life and has changed it forever. You know, but it's the thrill, the thrill of, of finding that another marble or that an orange or a pink or a red, which are really rare. Yeah. When you do, you squeal. Squealing delight still because you're that child again. Yeah, so I lovely. get the same thing when 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 I when I take a picture and I and I know the second I've hit the shutter, I, yeah. I, I know it and I get shivers down my spine and I get mm-hmm. so excited, you know. And it, it it's just um it's a really interesting, fascinating journey to kind of keep pushing for, you know that that beauty. Whatever it is, whatever you're doing, but it is like a musical instrument, isn't it? It's like they always say that you've got to play the piano every day to learn to become a concert pianist. You know, yeah. if you play it two or three times a week, you'll be a good pianist possibly. You have also got to have some natural eye and natural talent. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. But every single person has something. And it might take you 55 years like it has for me to find it. But, oh, gosh, it was, it was worth the wait. Because I know, you know, I have so much ideas. I don't know where they're coming from. I'm actually surprised at myself. I think, where is that coming from? You know, all the cupboards have opened in my head. I'm I'm a compartmentalizer in my head as well, emotionally, creatively. You know, all of the creative cupboards have just all flew open at once. I'm like, calm down. I'll never, I actually will never retire until my body says that I can't do anymore. I don't plan on retiring at all. Yeah. I just think it's interesting that we can we can have an awakening at any moment if we're willing to listen and and follow the impulse, which is what you, you have did. To listen, yeah, you have to be open. And it sounds all clear. There's a lot of stuff that sounds so cliche, and then it might sound you've got to be careful because I, I can't stand people who are very arrogant. It really rubs me up the wrong way and there's confidence and arrogance is a very thin line sometimes mm-hmm. but at the same time it's being proud with grace it's being confident with grace and it's it's allowing yourself to say actually you know that's pretty good and that's really hard for me from somebody who felt they were just useless and unworthy and not good enough for the majority of the life yeah so yeah, so it's it's been wonderful. It's going to be wonderful. Um, what are imagine. you excited about that's coming up? What what are you? Um, I'm excited that even 15 months in, I'm planning the Sea Glass Company Academy. So I want to inspire other people. It doesn't have to just be women. I want to inspire other people to to actually go out there and say, Do you know what might be at the beginning of my journey but this has always been here and I'm just expressed I'm choosing to express it at this time because I've got all the experience of life behind me but you know if anybody everybody's got something to give and I guess it's frustrating if you but it will come when it needs to come or when it should come so I'm going to set up the Sea Glass Academy I have a 
VIP membership. And then I raised money for charity. So I raised money for um, the charity that helped Jessica. Then I raised money for the Heart Foundation this year in the UK. But I'm a chatty Cathy. I could talk about this forever. This has been tremendous. I know I was, I'm looking at the time and oh my gosh, I could talk to you forever. Uh, I think we've reached a good point to wrap it up. Maybe we'll touch base again um, mm-hmm. later down the line and see where things are for you later on. Yeah, that'd be lovely. It's been wonderful talking to you. It's been wonderful talking to you. Thank you so much for for your time and for sharing your story. I really appreciate it. Well, there you have it. It just goes to show you don't know what you don't know. Rebecca had no idea she had a talent and passion for making jewelry from found bits of sea glass. She had no intention of starting a new business. I love that the simple act of taking a nature walk to stay sane during the pandemic led Rebecca to discovering her hidden talent. Who knows what's in store for you? You might be in the midst of a difficult time right now, but I'm here to say that I believe that's when we discover our hidden strength. Does it suck to be in the middle of hard times? Yes, but you are stronger than you know. And if you just take care of yourself and stay curious, you never know where it might lead. If you wanna know more about Rebecca and take a look at her beautiful, unique creations, I'll have links for you in the show notes. Just go to latebloomerliving.com forward slash podcast and click on the show notes for episode 77. And while you're there, You can also find a link to sign up to receive a free guide that I created for you called Five Steps to Your Midlife Reboot to help you get unstuck. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you have a fantastic week. Stay safe and well. Talk soon.